0: Episode 117 of Above Ground Podcast, continuing our special series of Thrival Stories for September, September Suicide Prevention and Awareness Month. This week, we have the day after yesterday. Disclaimer, the host of this podcast, Timothy Patrick and Will Foley are by no means medical professionals. However... Having lived experience with mental illness themselves, they have gained useful perspectives on common mental health issues that some of us struggle to overcome on a daily basis. By sharing their stories, they hope to create connection. By creating connection, they hope to help you find your purpose. And through purpose, we can all begin to build the foundation for positive mental health. This is Above Ground Podcast. Are you ready to lace up your boots, throw up your horns, and jump into the pit? Then let's stomp the stigmas of mental illness it's time for above ground podcast now will fully in timothy patrick what is up everyone welcome to above ground podcast above ground podcast because you can't serve below that's right timmy you down with tpp you know who that is you know me you know me that's <laughs> right huh not show friends and show business.
1: <laughs> That's
0: right. That's He's my bad, buddy TPP. Gentlemen. That's yeah. I've been on a I've been on a long sabbatical, a self imposed sabbatical.
1: It's all right. You got to take those sabbaticals once in a while, man. You got to walk right. it.
0: We do. Um, this morning we are joined for an interview from an anonymous guest. Uh, she chooses to remain anonymous because there's a lot of things involved in her story. Um, she lost a spouse to suicide uh, there's all sorts of entanglements in her story and we're gonna let her share a piece of herself with us today and I first I wanted to say thank you so much for trusting us to to be a part of your story and 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 sharing it with us I we, we really do appreciate it
2: you're welcome and thank you for having me I think it's really important what you're doing so
1: thank you thank you yeah thank real you quick. Real quick, actually, before we jump in um, to any like new listeners or just to everybody in general, but I think um, if we do have a few followers that that do listen every week, they kind of they they know that we we talk openly and um, real and raw, and we don't usually hold back or anything like that. And um, just a heads up that this episode. Is going to have you know some some talk of suicide, um, some talk of severe mental illness, and yeah. um, just wanted to throw that around out in the um, out in the unity.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Ah, I see the kitties. I <laughs> mine's not coming in. Fernando's not making a visit this morning. He yeah, shut he's out. He shut up. out. Yeah, he shut out of the studio this morning. Yes. So and I will certainly
2: just, some triggers there. Yeah, uh, most definitely.
0: Yeah. I will just say, how are you?
2: I am. I've heard other people talk about when you're dealt a certain hand, you don't really have much of a choice in, especially with children involved. You don't have a choice in having to conduct your life a certain way, or it will just be all downward. Um, so overall, I am good. I have a very happy, stable life, Um, impossible to carry on as though I have a similar story to your average person, because I don't, Um, but a good amount of acceptance, I'm doing well, especially this year during COVID. I'd say that I've weathered possibly better than a lot of other people.
0: Excellent, and that's good to hear. So have I. Um, the forced sort of slowdown of everything for me was kind of a, a welcome thing, to be honest with you.
2: Yeah, it was for a lot. I'm hearing that.
0: Yeah, I I, I know it was. Di- I know it's been difficult for a lot of the people that like we're involved with on a regular basis. But um, it for for me personally, it was good. Let Let's start with Let's start wherever you want to start. Where would Where would you like to? to take this story from and lead it to?
2: Okay, so I don't think it would be possible to just isolate uh, the loss of my husband as being the only relevant mental health issue in my life. It certainly was not. At the time he died, I know family thought the phone call was going to be about me, not about him. That came as a surprise. Um, I think a little bit of a backstory. Uh, I've lived all over the place. I'm from upstate New York, Um, like a lot of people and similar to your your podcast there. Well, family neglect, really being on your own at a young age, dealing with mental health issues around depression, anxiety, the self-worth that we learn from our parents when that isn't there the way it's supposed to be we fill it in with other things. Um, so that's a good place to start. I, I say that I escaped my life and I certainly did with somebody that ran away as a teenager, um, ran away again, but landed accidentally in Broadway theater world, uh, ran away again (laughs) to California, to New, to New Orleans, to, uh, lived in the Midwest, lived overseas in England. And through the rounds, I think I was escaping the mental health issues of my youth and trying to make sense of that, that you never can. And then some major things happened in my life, particularly a head-on car accident with a wrong-way driver in 2002 that altered the course of my entire life and I know that that was a significant impact on my husband at the time too who was an air force pilot back then wow so yeah you have a you have a laundry list of items to choose from well to so focus on any one thing
0: yeah. I want to go back to the beginning for you so you said you were running away to escape your mental health problems or or your mental health challenges and I don't know what the extent of those mental health challenges are, so I don't want to say that they're problems per se, but they're challenges. Sure. So how, when did this start? When did you notice that you were different or something that, that was not normal compared to what you thought it was when you were a kid?
2: I remember as far back as I can being a child and just having um, this inner cloud that would come over my mind and my thoughts and my soul. And I knew it wasn't normal like all of the other children around me. There was something profoundly dark, um, terrified, desperate, and an inner sadness. When I was 12, I had a surgery on my eye, I had a benign tumor, and they took that out. It's a hereditary type of tumor that a couple of cousins had also had. And I just remember the family influence of, oh, she may die too, there was no chance of dying. There's a bit of that Munchausen uh, mixed in with the, the narcissism and the need to control. Sure. So I think that that, so I, I think that there was the predisposition to it, whether it was organic or through nurturing. But then around that time, 12, 13 of that surgery, that inner darkness, that macabre kind of foreboding feeling was sticking around and it was going to be like a major character in my life from that point on. So I had several um, episodes of what later became a major depressive disorder, was hospitalized once myself for. Suicidal, well, a suicide attempt, suicidal ideation within a, a following attempt. Um, yeah, I, I had a few people up there kind of intervene a little bit. But to get back to your question about running away, after the depression kind of took hold in my life and was a firm, solid thing, and I had been diagnosed with cyclothymia, also on top of it, which is a bit like subclinical bipolar light. Okay. you
0: know, I've never, I've, yeah. I've never heard that clinical term before, honestly. So I, that
1: was okay. Thank yeah, you for sharing that. Me, me neither. Yeah. I didn't know what that was.
2: Yeah. Cyclothymia, it's sort of the cycling dysthymic disorder.
0: Okay. That can come That's with depression. Makes make sense. Yeah. Yes. yeah. I'm familiar with yeah. that part of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. is a huge component, just complete loss of interest in anything. Um, depression is the one illness that I say robs you of your ability to overcome it. You know, the, the very things that are tools to fight, to fight it off and to regain that stability that we all need is what is removed with depression. So it isn't as simple when you're in it to just say, get some exercise, socialize, eat your well balanced diet, you know, to maintain the, the structure that you need to have a good stable life and being at a young age didn't really have the uh tools coming from family around me you're you're on your own do you,
0: do you have a do you have a familial history of mental illness like is there a distinct parts of your first part of your family or going into your like cousins or something
2: it isn't known. I know on my father's side, there are some cousins that have had some major depression issues. On my mother's side, they are still caught up in that 1940s, 50s. Oh, if you'll cry, they'll come and get you. Um, talking bad about someone that has something attached to them, you know, speculating about someone's mental health all the time, writing someone off as crazy. So there is a huge pressure and they're high achievers. They're, they're they're very successful, a lot of them on that side. There's a lot of pressure to maintain that status quo. Life is wonderful. We're all good. Let's sure, talk which, about our successes. which but is a component some, in
0: driving that, which is a component in driving that mental sure. crisis mental health crisis at some point for someone. Because you can't keep up up that charade forever because that's really just a charade of trying to feel better than you are and and just getting yourself drowned in your own success or your own whatever it is.
2: Exactly. But we normalize it if it's from a parent. So in my circumstances, it's been with hindsight and having to take the no contact approach. A lot of children of narcissists eventually do have to do that. The other stigma with society is that your parent is your parent and it's your job to love them. So we don't understand if we have a parent that's completely toxic to us and we, and has maintained such control over our own lives. It's a barrier. We can't live our own lives until we've had some distance. We wrestle control back. But it's been in these last 10 years. Um, of having no contact where the true psychiatric disorder of that one side has become a lot more illuminated. I can look back now and say, okay, the first time I, you know, in the 80s had the, the gothic face and hair on and came out into the kitchen. It was abnormal for my mother to hide behind the kitchen island and start crying that there's a demon. That's that's not because she believed it. It's because it was a sick act of, I'm going to make you scared to control your behavior. Wow. You know, I'm going to, yeah. Yeah, that's twisted right there. Oh, very twisted. Don't go to any doctors that she will know about because there'll be a medical release written and signed. um, Checks written in my name. I think I was even voted for by the opposite party that I was affiliated with at one point. Um, yeah. So oh. uh,
0: can I, may I ask you, control. may I ask you sure. this? Are your parents, you were born up this, you were born up here. So are they, Correct. are they sort of like these, are they religious nuts? Are they like, are, I mean, and I don't mean, and I'm, I'm, I'm not meaning any disrespect, but not like when what? you hear those kinds of things, like you think of cultish behavior, like it's just beyond, it's beyond my scope. I'm grateful that I had the experience I had because I was, I was able to experience a lot of my own and figure out my own stuff for myself that Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed. But I was, I'm so grateful. I did not have a controlling, like you have to do this, you have to do this kind of in a way.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I can't say that there's any extreme religious influence. There are moderate Catholics. One is more pseudo than the other. OK, um, when it comes to narcissism, a nurse, somebody with actual narcissistic personality disorder will use anything as a tool that alters the perception of the people around them.
0: Absolutely. And so, gaslighting is it, gaslighting is the perfect way to do it, man. It's, it's, it's yeah. what they do.
2: Yeah. A triangulation. They. Operate go. very covertly. For instance, um, if I if I were a narcissist, okay, and I had a beef with you, Tim, and I were talking to Will, I wouldn't just say he was being a jerk. He did this thing to me. Oh, I'm so mad, and deal with that very authentically. I would deal with it, but this is if I'm a narcissist. How they think they go to Will, and they say something that will influence his opinion of you without saying it directly. So I don't know what is up with Tim. Um, he's just, he's acting kind of funny. He's trying to pull back. I noticed his teeth. There's something wrong with his tooth. Ah, he's eating is off. you know, I'll imply. So that person comes to the conclusion I want them to on their own. When you deal with a narcissist, that is what they're a master of. They triangulate everything, control. And that comes from a very deep-seated, um, pathological type you know some thinking that it's even in the brain structure excess white matter to gray i believe i'm sure you have a lot of professionals that can hear that and, and look it up or vouch for me um so yeah total lack of empathy but masters of control
1: wow. masters of manipulation for sure
2: absolutely yeah they are I think going
1: going back a little bit, just on uh, kind of Will's question, I, I don't mean to answer it for you, but I think mm-hmm. just um, just from what I have heard, you know, if 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 your parents or whoever are stuck back in the thirties, forties, fifties, or whatever, you know, a lot of times that you can't change that mindset, and especially if if you know if they're dealing with a personality disorder you know you're they're stuck in that time so if go back to that time frame and look at you know what i mean look at the way the culture was and look at the way that you know the stigma and all the other you know in that that that... time
0: period ah dude when you when you do peer work like when you learn when you go through some of these classes about where this movement Mm -hmm. stemmed from i mean what they did to mentally ill people from from the very onset was terrible And and of course, and it it was also a, a mark against the person because there were literally like literal rules set up for, for females that were treated differently than men. And then same thing with like other, other people that didn't look like us like that. I mean, they're they're legitimate things that were set up to literally streamline this thing to where it was. It was about control. It was always about control. It was never about making anybody better. Never. Kind of sounds like we're going Absolutely. back to
1: that spot, huh?
0: Uh, I don't think we've gone. I don't think we've ever gotten out of it. I think it's just morphed into something that looks more like our time frame, and and they're using the tools of our time to do it to us. Right. I mean, look at the look at the period we're coming out of for the well last. Said. You know, Well said. So, sure, yeah.
2: I, yeah I, I've heard a lot of stories of um, from staff in psych hospitals where there's they enjoy like dating someone for a takedown. Sure. So yeah, there, there's an ultimate Yikes. act of control and power.
0: Absolutely. That's and a, a and again, and again, when you're inundated with day after day, there's never, there's never a loss for people to check themselves into the hospital, never. So it's like, sure. you know, people, people start to get these power trips and they start to get this, they start to feel this like nonsensical power that I can, I can fix you. And that's, and again, like, that's not what it's about. And I'm sorry, I, think that, I apologize no, for I think going that's, off on.
2: It's, it's all right. I think that might be a product of their own desensitization that happens after a while.
0: Yeah, oh it's yeah. It's
2: like written into mental health care right now. I know there's a huge effort to extract our critical thinking from it, but I wonder if we ever will with just that human tendency to desensitize over time to whatever our field is like that.
0: Well, I mean, if so. you look at, I mean, we go back to Nazi Germany we desensitized mm-hmm. millions of people to murder another group of people so i think we can desensitize ourselves to anything if we want to i mean if you see it enough and you're and you're well, it, told that... enough about it like you can desensitize people i think that's where the true power is is in the 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 good fight of you not being desensitized and staying awake enough to see that it's it's really just a control thing now it doesn't matter which side it's coming from it's like this constant tug of war where you have to sort of stay in the middle of it and have the the wherewithal to be able to withstand whatever psychic battle is going on between your good and evil. And I don't know. Do not, and young. I mean, well,
2: you're, you're speaking to the Lucifer effect there, which Tim and I had addressed after meeting, <laughs> we discussed a little bit, but yeah, well, that's yeah, how uh, good the, people turn bad.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what your stand is on Lucifer. I don't, I don't buy into this. <laughs> I don't buy into this. Satan is the ultimate evil. Like I, I don't think Satan is anything more than Jesus is. They're just well, symbols I think it's of. Just
1: a ter- I think it's just a term that that whoever coined the phrase. Uh, you know, I've Liz never perfect. heard of that. I, yeah. I don't
0: think I've ever heard that. I, I didn't either until that.
1: she, until she, uh, <laughs> you know.
0: And I'm not saying no, I'm a Satanist, but it's just you no, know, no, just like this it, this bullshit of oh, you know, this one is the only one. Right. It's just like it's nonsense to me. But it
2: doesn't. It doesn't. Um, have anything to do with religion, actually, I'll, I'll bring this up. So if you, anybody took Psych 101, chances are they learned about the Stanford Prison Experiment, right? So that is where they took a group of people, and I think it was supposed to be for about two weeks time. And they said, okay, you're going to be the prison guards, and you're going to be the prisoners over here. And they gave them the uniforms. The experiment became so extreme where the people given the prison guard title and uniform became sadists, completely sadistic. Very quickly, they devolved into that. And the people given the title of prisoner became um, subservient to it and tolerated it. And I think they may have had some early Stockholm syndrome type syndrome symptoms developing also. Um, But... This is something that has fascinated me now for decades. The person who put on this study at Stanford University wrote a book called The Lucifer Effect, and it's based on how good people can turn evil. And a lot of that has to do with the division. So just a uniform, just a title. But we see that in our world today. If you're looking through the internet, through social media comments, People say things now they would never have said even 10 years ago, openly wishing death and, and ill will on someone. We also have Lucifer effect through road rage when we're driving in a car. Um, and I, th- I personally believe the masks contribute to it also because it's anything that breaks down that human face-to-face, eye-to-eye relation and, and that with it, where that is the standard and the norm. It's anything that's corrupting that. So that's where the term the Lucifer effect actually comes from ah, I
0: like it we just got a le- we just got a, a schooling right there <laughs> or I should say I just I just got a schooling which I need every once in a while because I've learned that the most I don't know anything is what I is I don't know nearly as much as I thought I knew so it's awesome yeah. Thank you for sharing
2: that well sure, what it shows are- that there's this effect that is coming out of people separate from us unto itself it's just this like an epidemic you know like you had mass hysteria you also have this so i think of it as a very real social dis- disease or disorder
0: sure and can, there's and nobody's observe. immune to this nobody's immune to this because well, we've no, all have, we've all had our own experiences media, during this time when you have dude media, you blame you like news. to blame the media all the time dude, dude, it's, but, it's the culture yeah but they they here's the, the thing, <laughs> yeah, here's the 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 thing dude Dude, they create they the create culture the if you if you allow them to pull the culture, then they create right.
2: the culture.
1: You're right. You're right, but there's a lot of people but that can't I think, think for themselves. Well, there are, but mm-hmm. I think there you, you I think
0: again. I think again though. You like like I I love this like swath. like we got to blame this, we got to blame that. The I'm fact not is, we blaming
1: them, but they're a part of it. If
0: we did the self-work, we wouldn't buy into any of it.
1: Dude, it's like we just changed roles. I've been saying that fucking for years, and now you're saying it. Absolutely. <laughs> I agree with you 100%. <laughs> I agree with you, but I'm telling you, there's people that are just so lost. They turn on the TV and they actually think that what they're seeing oh, yeah. is real and factual. Absolutely,
0: and it's not. None of it is. No. And, but but again, we all are susceptible to that because we all buy into our yeah. own. We all buy into our own biases at some point, just because we we've been we've we've seen. The proof of it, because our perception shows us the proof that it's, oh, see, that's happened now. So I've, I've willed that into happening, just like the bad stuff that we do. You know what I mean? Where it's like me, yeah. I caused myself all this aggravation about the 100th episode. Now the 100th episode is already blown by, and now I'm fine again. So I've caused myself all this inner turmoil for no reason.
1: Yeah, but yeah. it's even – I think it's even a step further than that. I mean, you have, you have like uh, – you know, you're talking like food companies – that make the food to we eat, and most of people don't even question it. You're like, oh well, they're a big corporations; they're not going to poison us,
0: right? No, right. Why right. would they
1: do that? And it's like, are you kidding me? Look into it. It's it's, and even when the facts are presented, some people just, I I, I don't know. They've been indoctrinated yeah. for so long.
2: It's like personal responsibility versus well, you always hold the personal responsibility versus that social engineering that may be going on without ever being intentional it's just that zeitgeist of that moment that takes hold right. but i have no doubt the media influences us a lot more than most people look are aware of
0: i'm i'm definitely not in disagreement with that but i i think it's yeah. it's really easy to blame one thing or another mm-hmm. when it's really a combination of all those when it's really a combination of all those things that is makes it very hard to break through Because again, you got the media involved with big pharma and then you got big pharma involved with big ag. Then you got big ag involved with, you know, their shareholders and everything's tied into this. And it's like, we're just pawns in this. We're just the collateral in this, in this collateral damage. How much, how many points can you score a game? Sort of.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Shareholders, big word.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Big. Yeah. That's about as big as it gets on a Sunday morning for me.
2: (laughs) Well, but I think it all comes down to the shareholders. Yes, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: For another few pennies, mm-hmm. we can squeeze them for another Oreo cookie. Um, <laughs> all right, I, I'm sorry, we kind of got off on the. Um, t- let's swing back around uh, because we've we've uh-huh. talked a lot about narcissism and stuff. So you've you've mm-hmm. run away, and if to hear your story though, you you've had quite an adventure. Upon your, do you consider all the things you've been through? Uh, a blessing, a curse, a little bit of both. Have you had time to, have you had time to sit with that and and work through your grief? And,
2: um, yeah, I, I, it's a little bit of both. I have, and I'll likely always have an envy of people who could stay where they're from, have their friend group, have a family. I don't have that. I have, uh, I've had a lot of moves. I've lived overseas on the west coast on the east coast up north up south um i've reached a level of comfort but i've i've had to truly define my own story year by year you know you can't really choose the hand that you're dealt but yeah i don't know if i answered your question with that or it it's
0: we always, we yeah. always say that we always say that recovery is just uncovering what's always been there. But, and I always say that recovery yes. from any crisis is fluid. So not every day is going to okay. be, not every day is going to be a smooth sail with, with the current. Some days you're going to fight the current. Some days that boat's going to capsize it just depends on where you're at in your journey. I just wonder if you've mm-hmm. made peace with, with the things that have happened to you and, and
2: um Peace. I think that I'll always be trying to figure it out, especially with the the that mother daughter dynamic. I'm a mother myself, so it just doesn't fit. It, I can't make it logically fit into my brain that a mother would do harm, try and influence um, the life in a negative way of their own child, to try and control it, manipulate it, come between any relations they have. Dig, find up, find dirt that you can that you can use. Someone truly narcissistic will go as far as trying to get the court to do things their way. Every avenue you could think, I lived through that. That I'll um, never quite make sense of, but I have learned to accept the facts as the facts. Uh, keep the distance. I do email that person so that I know you guys just did the episode on forgiveness, but that's so one day when that person passes away, I will know I did what I could without harming myself to have some sense of peace, Uh, but it will always be there. It's not, I don't think it's ever going to be you just reach one day and you get it and you've figured it out. It is not a normal hand that I was dealt as a lot of people have, you know, so yeah.
0: So going back to that, when mm-hmm. when was your first when was your first personal suicide attempt?
2: I was uh, fourteen years old. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, fourteen. Wow.
0: So. Um, was there a particular event that brought that on, or did, was it just that cloud of darkness that you just couldn't seem to shake?
2: Uh, it was the suitcase effect, as they like to call it neglect being on my own uh, conflicts coming up I had I had some very personal things happen to me being that age and young and you know in in your early sexual development, sort of like the stars just aligned for me to not see any road out, not see any I didn't have any hope you know, that I needed things that I would never get. And I didn't have the capacity to carry on in my life at all. I just was too young, too naive, too broken. Um, No real, you know, family support was, was not supportive. So yeah, that seems Um, like a lifetime ago now.
0: I'm, I'm glad that you chose to stay. Thank you for choosing to stay and fighting the fight that you've been through. I know you may not feel that way all the time that it's been, Mm -hmm. that it's been worth it. Cause I know there's a lot more to your story than just the, just the, the teenage years. So after, so were you hospitalized multiple times as a teenager or was this a one-time thing? And then you just started, you said, okay, if I stay here, I'm going to, something's going to happen. So I got to run was it?
2: I was hospitalized twice. Okay. So age 14. And then again, age 16, 16 for a couple weeks, it was actually somebody upstate there in that hardcore community would come to my hospital room every day with a pack of lucky strikes. Someone <laughs> I barely, barely know now barely knew then but just kind of came out of the woodwork. New Yorkers are a little bit like that. By the time I was 18, and able, you know, had the ways and means to get a job, get the hell out of here, right? I'm out. Um, I had someone enter my life that was incredibly intelligent, an old lawyer, pianist, philosopher, constantly reading, very observant, good, good person. And he would say, it isn't you, it's your mother. It isn't you, it's your mother. and Just constantly drill into my head. That at some point, you have to see a parent that raises you dysfunctionally as an adult looking at another adult. And that's where you begin to truly make peace. Not with the need of a child that That keeps going back to the well. Yes. As a child, you have a child need, even as an adult, to go back to the well over and over. And the well is fucking dry. And it's always going to be dry. You're not going to get the person to change. You're not going to have an enlightening moment where they understand. Um, And you have to accept that. That's, that's the real path forward. So setting that up and seeing it was about that, seeing this person as an adult, as a broken adult, that you just begin to walk that road of emotional independence, Mm -hmm. you know? Where you aren't in going my,
0: to the well anymore. Yeah. In my own personal journey, I've I've been working on this a lot, a lot this last few years between with my mom and stuff. And in with my dad. Like my dad and I are really close. Um like yeah. my dad had his own had his own struggles that you know led him to to want to drink too much and stuff. And I've and I've realized that you know we all have something that's in our that that haunts us from childhood. And I know he had, and I know he had a lot of stuff and I know my mom had a lot of stuff being, you know, the first generation of, of like United States citizens pretty much because Mm -hmm. my grand, my great grandmother had gotten my grandparent, my grandmother out of, out of France as Hitler was dropping bombs. So I wouldn't Mm -hmm. be here if Mm -hmm. it wasn't for that escape. But I also understand that there's that generational trauma that you carry and whatever's, whatever's locked my mother in her head for that type of disorder is has to be super painful and so un she had to be so unable to hold on to that that it just kind of locked herself up because i kind of look at these disorders like the the schizoaffect disorders and the schizophrenia where you're so so broken up into pieces i kind of look at them as these as these disorders that people got locked into a specific time frame and they can't seem to make they can't seem to make sense of now because they can't make sense with then. And it just, it, dis, it disorients them to the point of breaking into pieces. That's kind of the way I look at yeah. it because that's just what I've observed. Yeah. And it's there's scary. an
2: epigenetic, there's possibly an epigenetic component to that also. So um, I know when they look at the families of Holocaust victims, it's one, two generations later The the epigenetic impact of trauma is showing to be more and more relevant from what I understand. Now, in evolutionary biology, there was this old, it was called Lamarckian evolution, this idea, you know, the giraffe had the long neck, does something so their neck is longer than the baby is born with the longer neck. It's like passed on that way um, through events actually happening to you. And it was written off as bunk in the biology world right? No, that doesn't apply Lamarckian evolution. It's, it's def- It doesn't count anymore. Right, they can't well, now quantify it. it. They, can't quantify it. Yeah. they can't,
0: they can't put proof on it because we want blind faith. We want to go to church and pray on Sunday, but we don't want to believe that the spirit world actually exists. It's, it's, right. it's, it's a laughable,
2: but there's, you know, <laughs> genetics and experiences of our grandparents directly influencing who we are today. So we can see that now.
1: Yeah. Do you think you had you had mentioned a little earlier? You had mentioned, um, ex, you know, kind of uh, compare like acceptance. You had mentioned acceptance, and and mm-hmm. you know, looking at at as like two adult grown adults. Do you do you think that that just acceptance and and kind of um, seeing it in that perspective was one of the the main variables and and you you know in healing and moving forward.
2: Yeah. So when I get an email, like I did a few weeks ago, that's just completely crazy and unrealistic. Um, Crazy in that it's intended to be harmful. Uh, You know, Hey, I know you have these people in your life. When you went to see this person, they came and confided in me. When you went to that person, they came and confided in me rather than arguing it. Like that is not true. That would be uh, in one case illegal or, um, out of the scope of practice of say a lawyer to turn and confide in you, and I'm an able-bodied <laughs> adult. Um, those kinds of things, I don't react. I'm not emotionally reactive the way that I used to be. I don't bother arguing. I see it the way you would a patient that thinks the uh, the the screens slats of the screens are turning into snakes and talking to them. It's just okay all right, whatever you say, you know, and I don't engage it. I'll respond maybe in another month with some event that happened and some updated photos of my daughter. That's
1: it's interesting modeling
2: the way it should have gone.
1: Yeah. Well, it's funny because, uh, I, I was recently introduced to, uh, Dr. Romani and she's Mm -hmm. like, uh, she's like an expert on, narcissistic behavior narcissist and and I was watching this video and it it's her own little personal um, acronym for deep she says don't deep and deep is don't defend engage explain or personalize
2: exactly yeah, yeah. because they will target they will right. find any little thing and that'll be what they go on yeah and just get spun up out of control on whatever they're whatever's going on in their head at that time. Yeah.
1: Don't feed the animals. Absolutely.
2: Yep. Don't take the bait.
1: <laughs> so
2: don't take the bait and set it up yourself. You know, just respond how you should with the kind of conversation that should have been going on. And that's it. And limit. You have to really limit because they will, a uh, true narcissist will, they will mess up your whole world if they have anybody that knows you and they find out they will try and influence them um if they can get a hold of paperwork mail you know in in the extreme cases like i had they'll try and hold it control it yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, make it difficult for other people to be involved with you so it becomes so so uncomfortable for the rest of the family they just kind of back away so over the years, all they know of you over time is what came from the triangulator's mouth, and that was carefully crafted so that they could keep control.
1: Oh man, that's, we just, uh, yeah,
0: we just lost a narcissist in our family recently, um, and it was so controlled that nobody was even told that the funeral was happening on on the side on our side of the family. Like we were called oh. immediately following the death but nobody wanted us there to be involved is yeah, it's uh, yeah. When, I mean, what a fucking yeah. student we got, man.
2: <sighs> it, you know, I, I'll, I'll say when it comes to funerals, I experienced a bit of that narcissism kind of uh, invading my husband's funeral because where I had my husband's side, the whole family was at my house, whether I wanted them there or not, they were family, my family, and they were going to be there. And this is not blood relatives, my in-laws. And they have been since that, well, through our whole marriage and, and before, where that parent, well, was my mother, she managed to act like she was the director, you know, like the theatrical director. But funny enough, keep everyone I was related to from my family away and out and not really talking to me, just showing their face. Following her lead, taking her instructions as though it had come from me and staying away. Wow. You know? Well, that would, yeah, that would risk the relations. They don't want sure. people to know you on their own, they want to control it. Right. They, they want to. to control
0: the narrative because. They're either hiding something or they, they want to manipulate you or they want to hide something from themselves. I w- I think a lot of it is hiding mm-hmm. something from themselves that they're too afraid to face. That's to it usually with yeah. you know, whether it's whether it's a bad childhood and and being neglected themselves or, or abused themselves or and learning those skills from the from the person that had ignored them. Sure. And and then it carries on and then they figure out new ways of of developing the narcissism even deeper, I think, oftentimes.
2: Yeah, you know, and, and it's one thing to ha- say, like, date or, date or marry a narcissist, you divorce them, you eventually start to identify behaviors that are unhealthy, you learn about codependency, you know, it's like the normal, it's completely, if it's a parent, and they're extreme. How do you know yourself, everything you know of life? all your security and stability came from that person (laughs) that created you. So it it really is a little bit of like half the Gypsy Rose story in that regard and half uh, the the mommy dearest, you Mm -hmm. know, it's their world and I'm (laughs) in it and they're going to be in charge of the whole thing.
0: Right. And they're in charge Uh, no matter what.
2: Yeah, so it isn't leaving a situation that collectively came together or just happened as an adult. It's extracting your roots to try and parent yourself the way that they didn't. And it takes years to even see that, to really see the depth of how sick it was. I like the Uh, extraction
1: of the roots. That's uh, that's a good, that's... Yeah, that's pretty. Bingo. You know, ding, yeah. Ding,
2: ding. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah, I was very close to my sister in law. Like, she's become over the last 22 years and it's ex- just one of the most important people in my life. She's like my sister, you know. Uh, early on, there was a huge influence from that parent talking about religion. Keep your rosaries when she's around. She's poison. She'll bring poison into your life. You see, so anyone who is close to me, it was who are you talking to? Who, who, who is that person? I know them. I'm going to, you know, um, yeah, it's very different.
1: So I gotta, I gotta it's ask parent. Just he- hearing some of that. Um, if we can maybe, uh, I don't know, fast forward a little bit when mm-hmm. with, with the tragedy surrounding your husband, did, mm-hmm. did you get some of them? Uh, I don't even know the word I want to use. Like uh, accusations, backlash, or or anything from from other family and.
2: Uh, funny enough, I had a <laughs> my in laws side. All of our old, my husband and I went to college together. We were both pilots in the aviation world for a while. Oh, you were as well. Uh, so. civilian, yeah, just private pilot. I stopped once he was commissioned, and then we were engaged, and I had my daughter. Okay. Um. Yeah. Our old friends from flight school all stayed close to me. Um, people on his side, my family on his side, I'm um, we're very close to them. I did find out through no less than two separate people. My mother had implied to my late husband that I was having an affair, which of course I was not. Um, that was not the reason for his death. I don't know if it was a factor. It may have been, although we were pretty open with each other. I think that would have come up out of his mouth. He did wonder about different people in the the job I was doing at the time. And I thought it was unusual suspicion. Um, So I didn't have any accusations. Anybody that saw him and knew kind of what was going on for that year prior, then month and say three weeks they, they knew where the narcissistic parent, of course, that's, it's a goldmine. They capitalize. They just, someone's death. Oh, now give me your birth certificate, all of your, your social security. I'll hold it in my bond box for safety. You know, it it was the way to step in and assume control. Um, Move back near your family. I couldn't help you when you were young, but I can now. And it was just an elaborate setup, you know, to you take your kid to their lesson they go to, you hand the instructor 20 bucks, you find out down the road, you know, your mother's been paying, but by check every time. Oh, okay. Got it. And then you hear, I think there's a little bit of an agenda going on with that person, you know? So, and there was, there was, it was, my husband's death was an opportunity. They, yeah. It was an opportunity for them.
1: Wow. Now, you, you had mentioned just now, uh, like, a year prior, um, was there, I don't want to say was there signs, but was there, like, uh, you know, an extra noticeable stress going on the year before?
2: There had been stress from the time of um, me getting hit in England. So that was 2002. It was an up and down road for a long time. 2007, things went well for me, which, you know, we thought it would be for both of us. Um, I really came around with my health. I, I had gone to, I'm backtracking a little bit. I had gone to a Mayo Clinic program for people who had been injured. So they learned how to live naturally without going to pain doctors or anything like that. And I started thriving. My husband started just seeming like he was mad. More at first, like there was an argument, but I didn't know there there hadn't been an argument. He was just acting like there was some kind of strife between us. Um, mm-hmm. and it would be it would be sporadic. Um, we had ten years together where we were very happy. He was very nice guy, kind of uh broadly likable. you know if you knew him you would have liked him. He was funny and uh, really huge heart would cry when I was in childbirth. He was the one to cry at the wedding. He you know um, always had a funny movie quote. but yeah, some of those behavioral changes I can't quite put my finger on. It's closer to the actual event of him dying where I look back and see very uh, hallmark things that he was doing that don't make sense at the time when you're in them.
1: Sure. Yeah.
2: But yeah, it's kind of like touch and go for where you look back even five years before or 10 years before they died. Was that a sign? Was that a sign? That's the stuff you'll always do.
1: I'm sure. Yeah. You can um, beat yourself up.
2: Yeah. So a lot of just uh, sleeping more, he started having a hard time getting up before 10, which was unusual for him.
0: That's a hallmark of depression.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, acting. in men,
1: mm-hmm. in men, anger can be a, uh, another hallmark. in depression Yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: He was expressing all the hallmarks <laughs> of depression, but whether he wanted to yes. acknowledge that or not was, that's a different yeah. story.
2: We did. He did acknowledge it. Um, I found a therapist. He was a pilot. So they couldn't, at least at that time, I'm not sure about now, they couldn't go into a psychologist and or a psychiatrist and say, hey, Uh, because of his job, it cost you your license or you would need some kind of medical waiver to then be able to fly, which doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, So we got a, a therapist involved and he was going to him for a little while. He did start. I don't know, I'll just jump into, you know, explaining, really, what that period of time was like. Um, he would suddenly just change, you know, even pupils, uh, he, he became more physical, he'd walk past me in the hall and knock into my shoulder. This isn't, oh, you're in a relationship with an abuser. No, this is my sweet loving devoted loyal husband of 10 years you know nine years at that time that's suddenly and radically different with their behavior that's a cause for concern and i was more concerned for him and what the hell was going on back then than i was thinking the way um a woman would when a man does that to her can ordinarily. i just-
0: I just wanted to ask a question. Was there any, was there any injury that he sustained head wise or anything? Was he involved in the accident with you from?
2: He was not in the accident. He was actually in uh, South Africa at the time it happened and they red crossed him back. I was in a military hospital overseas. He had not, he'd never broke a bone in his whole life. Okay. Um, he died having never smoked a joint, you know, we're talking, he was happy, he was funny, the kind of guy that the whole, his whole family just adores, um, our friends adored him, and he just had this inner, uh, it's not like he was acting out rage, it's as though he was spontaneously bubbling up you know, like a volcano, and then instantly fearful. You'd see in his eyes a shock and horror about the reactions coming out of him that he didn't seem to be in control of.
0: Did he see see service? Combat? Mm -hmm. At all?
2: Well, he was um, a pilot. He was not fighter. He was tanker. Okay. He did have a lot of time in... He was in Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, too. Okay, went to Saudi Arabia a lot. Mm-hmm. Wow!
0: So he, so was, sub- he was he exposed was
2: exposed to things.
0: Okay, so he was yeah. definitely exposed to things, but
2: he was exposed to things more on the strategy side, okay. and uh, then in on the ground. He was not, you know, infantry. He wasn't stuck in Fallujah or anything like that. This okay. was you around men. Going... Uh, many... mm-hmm.
1: Go, going back a little bit to what you had said it sounded like he was a a, a pretty sensitive guy. Yeah. So in that, in that aspect, you know, when you, you know, when you feel such great love and you are able to show it, you have to think of the other side, because if you feel great love, oh, at yeah. some point you're going to have to feel, feel the great loss. And I understand that yeah. for sure.
0: Yeah. That's very well said, Tim. I had to, I had to just chime in with that. that was very well said. I
1: like that. Absolutely. When you're, when, and and obviously you said he was involved in the plant. So he was obviously a thinker, you know, you got a thinker that's, Mm -hmm. you know, deep, sensitive. Uh, You know, our heads aren't always the, uh, the uh, warmest (laughs) place, you know, place to hide, I
2: guess. He wasn't one for, I mean, deep in terms of just by his nature, he was Warm-hearted, good-spirited, good sense of humor, easy to get along with. He was not a deep thinker. Where if I asked him, "Hey, let's talk about uh, the universe or life after death," I don't need to know that. You know, kind of easygoing. Didn't need a lot of contemplation in some areas at all. Um, but yeah, super sweet and sensitive and um, involved. Yeah, but it, it was a complete personality change.
0: I wanted to swing her back around to something that you had said earlier. Um, and the reason mm-hmm. why I say this is because Tim and I experienced the loss of one of our really close friends two years ago to suicide. Mm-hmm. And we worked together. I actually went to school with this gentleman. Um, and there's a lot of reasons that Tim and I are doing this is partly because of him and and he was a part of our circle for a very long time. But um, yeah. you said you had said that he was kind of you, they were expecting to get a phone call about you and not him. Mm-hmm. Is there, yeah. is there like, is there like some sort of, and I, I don't mean to, I'm not insisting on anything, but is there guilt sure. or is there, is there shame attached to that? Is there like, it should have been me. Like, have you gone through <laughs> yeah. that too? Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I, I understand a lot of people do. I did not go through that. I did not go through feeling it should have been me, not him. I had then a nine year old, you know, and um, she and I were and have always been very close. And my reaction was, what do I do for her? Because it's I'm mom and I have to, you know, um, But the reason that people thought it may have been me when that phone rang and they heard it was about something bad was because my crash had happened in 2002. And that was very severe. It was head on, wrong way driver. I was driving a a British car. So the wheels on the other side, the other driver was driving an American car. So back farm road, it's actually if you if you look at the cover of the division bell, it's pretty much that field around that cathedral oh, God. or in that vicinity. Um, and I ha- I was trapped, you know, the car was smoldering. I woke up for a moment. I had a shattered sacrum, broken lumbar spine, rib, some jaw trauma, and I had a, a brain hemorrhage. Wow. So I woke up for a moment just to know I would die. Uh, Car, I could see smoke probably from the airbags, but there was a lot of debris, uh, gra- or field debris and dirt, glass all over me and look down to see if my legs were still attached because I had significant caudal, you know, caudal equina or caudal nerve root damage. Sure. And it was a period of years where I went from hospitalization to, you know, sit up for 10 minutes to go home, but then it's a wheelchair, it's a walker. It's uh, doctors, it's getting nerve blocks, not a lot of long term surgeries, but that certainly impacted my husband's life and career. And those little things add up. So where I'm finally a couple months later, you know, I'm home, I'm out of the hospital, he can't go be deployed. Um, He's, I can't move. At all yet. You know, I hadn't had a shower in a month other than wet wipes. He's doing these things for me. He took the caregiver role. So from 2002 until about 2007, I really struggled with the aftermath of my crash. I couldn't really have any more children. I couldn't continue my plans as a pilot. I was going to finish my commercial rating, do that. I had to find myself all over again, I had birds and falconry working with birds of prey over there. So I was able to do that a bit. But it was it was up and down. And a lot of doctors prescribing a lot of pills. And I had a lot of tears over that six or seven year period. And the family had experience with that they saw how bad I was, you know, Um, just the chronic pain would just about defeat me. And it did plateau and it did slowly improve. So crash 2002, I go to Mayo Clinic 2007, I start doing my volunteer job for uh, wildlife again. And I was actually having a finding my own, my own rhythm, my own new life post crash. Um, The morning he died, I was sailing with our neighbors for about an hour. And then I went fishing with a cast net. Out at the beach to catch bait fish for the birds, you know. Um, so here I was doing so much better, but the hardships that we had had around the crash are why people thought it was me when the phone rang. Okay, yeah, makes complete that clarifies makes,
0: it makes complete sense. But now that you've kind yeah. of laid out the 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 physical trauma that you experienced nearly dying. And Mm -hmm. I mean, being in such a horrific crash and then expressing the fact that he was your caregiver, he obviously took on a lot of different roles that he necessarily didn't plan for, for one thing, but maybe not have been, and he may have rolled with it because that's the gentleman that he was. And because he was a strong guy, but he may not have necessarily wanted that. And it's, and I, I feel, I feel, I, 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 I got chills. It's, I'm so sorry that he had, yeah. to, go, you had to go through that because that's terrible.
2: Yeah, it is terrible. And I think he always felt a little bit of guilt because my injuries happened at the hands of another military member overseas because of his job, you know? Uh, so, yeah, he felt like it's because of Okay. our, our lifestyle and that happening.
0: Is that why you uh, were in England? Is that old. why you were in England at the time? Were you living there? Yes. You st- was he stationed yes. there? Okay. hmm
2: mm-hmm. Sure was. Yep. No, yes, if, sure. Uh,
1: if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of um, you know, you said in the beginning about, you know, I, there's no real word for it. I'm just gonna say like uh suicide etiquette, I'll call it.
2: hmm
1: Um sure. you had talked to me um, through text before about um you know dealing with you know how you dealt with certain things or how you felt about certain things and how you know maybe people don't know what to say or don't know how to say things um can you just talk about that a little bit that side of it and you know maybe what you think um you know could help or you know what you may want other people to know
2: yeah i think you know um when somebody in your family, your spouse, child, or somebody dies from suicide, I know anyone will will understand what I'm talking about when it seems like the people around them stand, stare silently, and uh, seem to be emotionally walking on eggshells, right? They don't want to say the wrong thing. Uh, A lot of people, I heard another guest of yours talking about how people can say that some really silly things like well that's playing godhead for them or they're in a better place now well, but even if, at the risk of saying the wrong thing i think you're better off doing it you know um the survivor may react poorly in the moment if you really fuck up but over time it's much better that you were there than if you politely pull away and i know in my experience You know, this was, this was a shock and trauma that I had amnesia to for quite a while. I found him in a noose, um, came home and the front door was locked. We don't lock the door. One of us is home. What's going on? Something is wrong. And go around to the laundry room. I pushed to open it. It's heavy. We had a Turkish carpet rolled against that corner. And in my mind's eye, it was like, something's wrong. But I think the carpet fell in front of the door. Push it again. There's a thump. No, the attic alcove pop out was right on the inside of that door. And he had hung himself through that, through the eaves. So it was his body that I was pushing. And that room was marginally dark. It was daytime, but not a lot of light. So when I stuck my head in, it's my husband's face right there in my face. Um, I couldn't remember that for, I don't know how many months to where the police, when they were down, I think I I got a little sidelined, but I'll just go with explaining it to you, um, wandered down to a neighbor's yard, actually the neighbor who I was good friends with, who had had my daughter for a sleepover the night before with her kids. They were all still there playing in the backyard. My daughter is playing in the backyard. I can hear her giggling voice and I'm in complete shock, staggering down the road to them as the police are back and forth. By that point in time, my brain had already not accepted. This is my husband and he is now dead. And I'm asking the police, what are you going to do? He has to go to a hospital, you know, and I'm envisioning him sitting at the dining room table, giving his story as to why he did this why he acted like he had died and that they would take him off, right? Take him away somewhere. No, ma'am. He's dead. He died some time ago. They tell me. So um, I had complete amnesia. And when you're asking about how people should treat you or, or behave. So consider that I had a a number of (laughs) male friends, old friends, you know, like good guys too. Suddenly unfriend me because they had maybe uh, jealous wives or whatever it was. When you go through a death like that, you are not out looking uh, for men. That's not what you're doing. You are, have a very real human need, just as a soul in your body, to see another soul in another body and have some kind of super basic eye to eye, I care about you connection from them that is it. You're, you're not out looking to slut it up, you're not hitting on people. You, that's As far as the hierarchy of need goes, you are bottom of the barrel, reconfiguring. It's, it's morning, it's night, I'm alive, I drink water, you know, everything hurts, just basics. That's it. So keep that in mind, really with, with any kind of death or trauma, you know, don't make assumptions about where that person is or what they need. It can be, it's usually really basic. Just be nice to them, be there for them and you don't have to speak, you know?
0: Wow. Hey, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful that you trust us to listen to this and trust us with your story. Thank you so much for, for sharing this. Um, I know that this, th- these conversations, no matter how much time passes, are never easy to have. And oh. I, I think it 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 shows a lot of not only strength but it shows a lot of your ability to to connect with others by sharing your your stuff because by sharing oh. your stuff you're able to you're able to maybe allow someone else who hasn't faced a, a particular mm-hmm. issue maybe whether or not suicide or whatever that. That, that shows them that, wow, I can be comfortable coming out and talking about this, is, is, but you have to be in a safe space to do it. And I'm, I'm glad that yeah. I'm grateful that it's this time that is okay for you. And I'm, I, I hope we didn't, you yeah. know, tread too heavily on anything that, that you okay. shared. Um, we're going to finish up. Uh, we always, unless Tim's got mm-hmm. anything else,
1: do you have anything else that you want to add no. or ask, dude? No, very well said on your, on your part, because I think that's, you know, we don't, we don't do this to drudge up feelings. We don't do this to uh, put people on the spot or guilt or shame. We do it because, you know, it, the reality of the situation is this, this happens.
2: You yeah. Know? Yeah. And that is what's helpful um, is. It, it, it's a fact, it's a reality when someone dies and dies like that. You know, that's what I have. This real thing, very tangible death occurred, very traumatic. And someone approaching you with the knowledge that that is a fact of the reality that you're living with is so much more helpful than having to be concerned with how that other person feels, you know? Um, and I do exactly. a lot of that. I'm often more... I when someone asks me, just say I meet someone and they ask me how my husband died and I tell them, I feel bad for them that now I have to answer because they're going to feel awkward once I do, you know, I feel bad for them. Like, oh man,
0: yeah, that's why we're they doing don't want this them to
2: feel bad. That's yeah, why we're doing but, this. We mm-hmm. hope
0: that there's less people but, that have to have those odd conversations because if you, and we hate the word normalized, but if you make something less less, you know, harsh than, you know, you can, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: you can, you can carry on and talk about it.
2: That's right. Yeah. Well, I've enjoyed talking to you.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We're going to finish up with our, we end every podcast with three questions. So I'm going to let Tim ask the first one.
1: Do you have a favorite or least favorite word
2: Oh, a basic. I use ameliorate a lot, so not a swear word. Swear what? word. With, I don't know. I, I the word ameliorate. I don't know what it is about it. I love it. I use it when I can. You know. Can you like define please? Goal. Yeah, yeah, exactly sure. <laughs> <well>. um, <laughs> she had. She had. She had nausea after the roller coaster ride, but I gave some Dramamine, and that has been ameliorated. So ameliorate, you know, it's like to fix, but it has a nice, it's a good one. Uh,
0: All right. All right. That's, that's the first ever on this one. We've heard some, we've heard some pretty, pretty unusual ones and then some pretty typical ones, but that's definitely, I'm going to have to add that to my book of words.
1: Yeah. We're going to have to put that in the show notes. Weekly.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Add that in the show notes. Will.
0: Yeah, I will. I'm going to have to. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get the Webster's Dictionary <laughs> the, the definition from the web and include it.
1: Do you have a least favorite?
2: A least favorite? Um, I think stupid is probably being overused to describe anything that has disgust or disdain or is inappropriate. That's stupid. That's stupid. It's, let's be more specific. because. We could call people that too, but if they're born stupid, hey, don't discriminate. <laughs> uh,
0: <laughs> I like it. Well said. Um, well said. Yeah. We don't like to discriminate. That's why, like, that's why like that's that's what stigma is. Stigma is yes. discrimination. You know what I mean? That's what we're here sure. to destroy. Um right. yeah, so the, the second question,
2: right and wrong, good and bad.
0: That's right. Yeah. So the second question is a very lighthearted one. Uh, is it cat? Dog or other, and I think I have the answer for that, but maybe not.
2: Oh, cat by a mile. Okay. Cat <laughs> by a mile. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What? It, what is it about cats?
2: First off, they're they're living sculptures. Mine are as soft as rabbits, and they don't require a uh, love that's related to subservience to that master servant. You know, it's complete dependency. They don't have that dependency. They have a bond,
0: and I, I, I like it. that. I, I love, love
2: all it. animals. I love See? I do love dogs.
0: See Tim? Up dogs. See? And Fernando Fernando just wants a bond, dude. That's all he wants. And to we do.
1: bonded the other night. We bonded the other night, you know. We just that's I it. have we have to set boundaries with that. That's all. Yeah. A good exercise
0: yeah. in setting boundaries.
1: <laughs> exactly. I set boundaries with a cat.
0: <laughs> well, you can't do it with humans. They so walk you can do right it with cats.
1: <laughs> exactly. You got to start That's, somewhere. A that's right. right over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, All right. So, if you could do anything for mental health as a whole without any kind of restraint, or if you would like to see something done to mental health as a whole, what would it be?
2: I would definitely change the stigma. I would. I I think that I'd create some kind of movement that aligns it with neurology overall not as this separate segment of thoughts, because it isn't, it is really a subfield of neurology. You know, when it comes right down to anxiety, you're talking about catecholamines in your body, panic, you're talking about a physiological reaction. So even at the brain chemical level, you're talking about someone's neurology and continuing to hold it up as this psychological, you know, it's in the mind, I don't think that's doing any service. You even see that in healthcare. Oh, they're psych. That patient. No, 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 nothing cardiac. No, no wounds. No, not this, not that. They're psych. They're just like, you know, implying an irrelevance or like a choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right,
0: or a less than ship that. Less than. You no, know, yeah, less than. Yeah. Than. Oh well, they they don't have a heart problem. They're not going to immediately die. They're just mental. Yeah. You know? and, yeah,
2: it shouldn't uh, be an either Almost like we can't fix them. <laughs>
0: Yeah, almost yes, like we exactly. can't fix it.
2: It's not either or. Someone isn't mentally healthy and stable, or they are not. There's a spectrum at any given day, at any there given go. year, through everyone's a lifetime. You know, it's like the ocean. What condition is it in if we test the water right now? No one is in either or when it comes to mental health. Not one person.
1: Wow. So, wow. Like, yeah. That was freaking fantabulous.
0: Your, your insight... <laughs> okay. Your, in, your insight is is unbelievable. Um, yeah, that was man, a great I, answer. I, I, I meant to, and I wanted to ask you this because I know that when it comes to the spine and the neck and things, um, and those mm-hmm. things get injured, they can create like disconnects with your brain. Because obviously that's all one system in that. That neurological system runs the from the, from the back of your skull right down through your tailbone. Did you notice Check. after your accident, did you notice any increase in, in your mental health issues at, without, I, I mean, obviously you were in such physical trauma that your mental health probably wasn't even a thought because you were in so much pain all the time that that's probably all you could think about. But did you notice that the depression or anything like overtook you? Was it yeah, Because I can't imagine having to learn how to walk again would have been very easy and, and sure. having to go through all that rehab. And-
2: well, I didn't truly learn to walk again. I It was a slow progress and a lot of physical therapy with the bars and all, you know, the typical image you see. Um, I always knew how to walk. So it was just once the nerves could reconnect and I could control the muscles enough, it was a slow progress. But in terms of brain injury, the residual that I continue to deal with is I my brain is like an old computer. If I even walk by a TV and there's a sudden crash or certain sounds, it's like I react physiologically with all those stress hormones and it shuts down for a minute. If there's too much noise, I can't really isolate where the one person talking to me is coming from. If I'm in a home and somebody has the TV blasting and they go to talk, I pick up the remote and mute it and say, I'm sorry, I have a hearing problem. I can't hear you. So, disconnect psychologically, it would be hard to look back because there were so many uh, medications they had me on and so much recovery going on with bones and everything. It, It would really be hard to know what was truly just brain. I do continue to have an awful lot of sleep inertia. So, I have to plan good two to three hours before I need to be somewhere that I'm up because I won't be safe to drive for the first hour. No substances, just don't feel with it. Feel like I'm coming out of a coma every morning a little bit. Um, Yeah, noise. I have a hard time. Funny enough, I don't mind going, but I do have a hard time in Walmart. Just because when you come around the aisles, that that idea that somebody might be right there or coming at me. Now I don't know if that's more trauma related or brain, but just try and keep things kind of on an even keel. To I haven't had it all.
0: I haven't had a TBI that I'm aware of ever in my life, and I and I'm not even comfortable in Walmart, so that doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was going to say Walmart has that effect on most people.
0: Yeah, I was going to, yeah. <laughs>
2: Yeah. That's stone mental illness. If you, you know, if you're <laughs> fine with Walmart probably. I oh, wonder man.
1: if there's, I, I wonder if there's something you can do, uh, to ameliorate those, those, uh, feelings.
2: <laughs> I think I've maxed out the amelioration. Of
1: that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. I maxed it out. I, okay, yeah, I do my breathing. I stay calm, you know, but it's, it's, It's it is noticeable. You don't sustain something like that and just carry on like your Mm. old self.
0: No, and and so So. much of that, and so much of that rebuilding your life, see, like obviously, it's 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 so harsh because you have the beauty of being able to rebuild your life after such a tremendous event like that accident, and then you have such a tremendous loss on the other side. That it, it's yes. that yin and yang is has got to have so much weight to it that you can't. It's probably hard for you to celebrate where you've been. Is it? Well, actually, I want to ask you: Is it hard to celebrate where you've been because you have so much strength to be able to get through that? But yet you have such a devastating loss on the on along with it that have you been able to yeah. like, sit down? Um, and...
2: I can go, and I'll probably do it today. Go to the beach float in the water and just look up and allow things including my whole history to just be I can only be present right now uh I I can start feeling sorry for myself a little bit of course can't Um, we all I can start yeah you know like why didn't I have this why didn't I you know uh, any kind of trauma there are many factors to how well you will cope and one of the Biggest ones, there's no getting around it, is your support structure. I had limited support structure, you know, both after the crash and after losing my husband. Um, That family on his side that I'm all close to, they're not here. They're all spread between two countries and a couple states. Um, We were military, so I didn't have old friends here. They were all at the base and have since moved on. Um, so I, I can feel a little sorry for myself. Like, why didn't I have that? You know, if, if I still lived back home, you know, when I was up there, people came out of the woodwork. New Yorkers are some (laughs) loyal ass people. Let me tell you. Um, so yeah, I, I don't get carried away. I can appreciate the growth. I can appreciate from once I've came, once I come and, um, but have a, a solid appreciation and now in ownership of my past, you know? Wow. That's a great
0: way. That's of- a great way to leave it too. Thank you so much for, yeah. thank you so much. I know this has got to be heavy and I hope you enjoy the beach and you enjoy floating in the water today. I can't wait to go to the thank beach you. in July when we go on vacation. I, I, Tim knows this. If I don't bring the salt water home mm-hmm. uh, with me, like for the next three or four months, like vacation sustains me for a good, like five, six months, but I know I'm cycling if I don't bring it home. But this year I'm oh, yeah. bringing it home. Damn it. I'm bringing it, bring home. it home. Bring oh, it yes. home.
2: The sun, sun in the water is very healing. Yeah.
0: Yes, it is vitamin D baby. Well, thank you so much. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yes, thank, thank you. you. And, uh, we can't, It can't, there's nothing to add Timmy. me uh, until next yeah. week, man. Be well, be safe. Be above. If you've lost someone to suicide, you may feel overwhelmed by grief, confusion, or even anger. But you are not alone. The American Foundation for Suicide Prevention offers support in the weeks and months following a suicide. The Healing Conversations program gives those who have lost someone to suicide the opportunity to talk with a caring volunteer. Having experienced suicide loss themselves, our volunteers know firsthand the emotions associated with this type of loss. They can offer comfort and guidance, as well as community resources that may be useful on the path ahead. Healing Conversations are available in person, on the phone, or by video chat. To learn more about the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention and how to schedule your own healing conversation, please visit AFSP.org forward slash healing conversations.